Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the nonprofit news feed for the week of September 12th, we're talking about remembering 9-11 as well as other news updates. As always, Nick, how's it going? It's going good, George. You know, I had a pumpkin spike latte today. I might have jumped the gun, but it's coming. I got to say, as soon as it's legally purchasable, you've not jumped anything. I think it is completely fine. I, in other news, got back from taking our family to Disneyland, and it was awesome. They have officially pumpkinified everything there. So in other news, I have on the ground firsthand reporting that they have put pumpkins on everything there. Amazing. Breaking news. I love to hear. Uh, but speaking of news, I'll take us into our first story. And uh, we wanted to talk today because... This weekend marked the 21st anniversary of the September 11th attacks. So as Americans across the country reflected on that day, nonprofit and volunteer organizations were stepping up to honor victims and families, as well as to pay forward the heroic acts of bravery and charitable acts of community that were displayed that September um, so we wanted to highlight the now federally recognized September 11th National Day of Service and Remembrance. Um, it is run by a nonprofit organization, and it brings together folks across the country to, quote, rekindle the spirit of unity that arose in America in the immediate aftermath of September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks. Um, so a whole host of charitable community service type uh, activities happened um, on this 21st anniversary from supporting students and teachers. There were food drives, people making emergency preparedness kits. And I love this because it's kind of the, uh, I think, the epitome of creating space to remember and recognize the tragedy of that day, but also creating the space to acknowledge the tremendous courage and heroic acts of kindness that occurred that day and, and paying it forward through community service. Yeah. And, you know, definitely appreciate the work that 9-11 Day has done over the years. It's interesting, 21-year-olds 21 right now entering the job market, graduating from college. These are folks that effectively were, were born after this country-changing, life-altering event in America. And so more than ever, I'd say going forward, their work in terms of helping uh, Americans remember this, the world remember this, uh, and using it as a reason to unify something. Boy, do we need right now. Unify uh, our, our actions and national spirit is, uh, is important. You know, I also think to, you know, uh, everyone who is a bit older than that has, has memories, has family members. I always think of the gratitude I have that my mom chose to vote on that day in the morning instead of going to work in the towers. I know it is a, it is a solemn day for many and moving from 
psalm to activity to the that larger spirit of unity it's something that i think is a is a positive work going forward and as a national holiday of remembrance yeah no i can't agree with you more and i think i know we both grew up in the, the new york area and everyone in new york city and then how many places across the country have a personal connection to that day um so what a, a tremendous honor i think um that we now recognize this day of service um and and paying back um the community that that really came together that day yeah so we encourage you to to look at this and you know there'll be other uh, major major moments you know, i think it'll happen around the you know, the, the even years, the every five years and, and larger remembrance so that is always continuing to work and uh, push to, to make it a day of service, which I think I like that position. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. Okay. I'll take us into our next story, switching gears. George, I'm just going to throw this right at you. Our, our article comes from Media Post, and it's about the Ethereum merge, the big merge. I've seen merge all over the place. I couldn't tell you what it means. What's the takeaway from this? So we, to be honest, don't have enough time to cover exactly what it means. But why we're talking about it in the nonprofit podcast for a news feed is that it is going green. It's going many things. But essentially, Ethereum is the number two largest cryptocurrency. Uh, think of it, if you know nothing else, as the sort of uh, Excel of cryptocurrencies. People can customize it and put various things on it, most notably NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And so all of this is built on this platform that essentially is a touch, you know, uh, power, uh, power hungry uh, in that it takes proof of stake. A fancy way of saying a bunch of computers help make sure this thing is uh, safe. And it's moving into, uh, I'm sorry, it is proof of work right now, moving to proof of stake. Work meaning computers are working. Stake means a different method of making sure the network is secure. By making this transition, which is going to happen today, according to all reporting, as of September 14th, is going to cut energy consumption of that network by 99.9%, which is significant because currently running this technology costs roughly in terms of energy, uh, the electrical energy output of Chile. Um, so it's a large carbon footprint. I will just make a quick note of saying in general, I, I find those types of posts sort of misleading in the same way that I don't happen to know many people complaining that actually something like uh, Zoom is taking up 100,000 kilowatt hours every day uh, to run video meetings nonstop. So pause on that. No one's writing about that. And that is orders of magnitude larger than things like Ethereum. Technology costs energy. This, however, is exciting because moving through whose take is going to make it that much more ecologically sustainable uh, as, uh, as a cryptocurrency and is, uh, is hopefully going to encourage others to, to say, you know, in order to do it, use the more efficient way of proof of stake to do it. But something could go wrong. So we may cover this next week and tell you if anything went wrong on this one, 
We'll see. Stay tuned. Cliffhanger. Um, no, that's a great uh, kind of uh, summary there. So I did. I didn't do it justice because there's a lot more tech happening behind the scenes, and it's it's something that has taken the community like I think roughly five years to to get done. So this is a kind of sort of switching out the engines on a plane that's flying this type of situation. What could go wrong? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, all right, Jordan, I have another story for you. This one, I'm going to go through and then I want to hear what your take is for the nonprofit angle. So this com- one comes from uh, a news outlet called Roll Call. And the top line of the story here is that a federal judge in Texas on Wednesday has ruled that requiring employers to provide the HIV prevention drug PrEP, P-R-E-P, violates their religious freedom. Um, so essentially, the government cannot mandate employers provide PrEP, uh, which is an HIV drug. So what is PrEP? Well, PrEP is a drug that can help people be HIV undetectable. Um, and the drug actually reduces the risk of contracting HIV from sex by roughly 99% and from drug injection by about 74%. Um, when you look at uh, the people bringing the, the suit, um, it is by rare Braidwood Management Inc. Um, and honestly, the, the people bringing the suit, they're, the quotes are here, kind of atrocious. It says, the company argued that providing coverage of PrEP drugs, quote, facilitates and encourages homosexual behavior, intravenous drug use, and sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman, um, which is both a homophobic and factually incorrect statement. Uh, PrEP is a life-saving drug for people outside and beyond the uh, LBGTQ community as well. Um, This guy uh, was also facing felony charges of unlawful restraint and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon related to his involvement in a fruitless search for thousands of fraudulent mail ballots. Um, That is the leader of uh, this organization bringing the suit, but federal judge in Texas ruled in his favor. So that's the lowdown. That's the lay of the land. George, what's your take for the nonprofit angle? You know, I think there are always going to be suits brought about. I mean, that's the beauty of our, you know, free, hopefully fair judicial system and country that we're in. However, the judge's ruling on this is disturbing for many reasons. One, it's laden with terrible, probably undertones of homophobia, just outright, almost blatant, and also a misunderstanding of how HIV works. You know, the 1990s called, they want their bigotry back, right? Like, what are we doing? Number two is, I, I could say as, as a nonprofit, you could go with a more extreme extrapolation of what it means to allow religious freedom pushing into healthcare. What do I mean by that? If I were wearing another hat and I was being a bit more antagonistic, I would actually switch gears and say I would bring a suit as a Christian scientist saying that healthcare of any kind whatsoever, Christian scientists believe uh, that they should rely on solely uh, God 
and forego pretty much most kinds of medical treatment because they rely on Christian science. Ergo, if let's say I become a Christian scientist, I might bring a suit saying, I don't think I should provide healthcare of any kind to my employees because I believe that violates my religious freedoms. It violates what I think should happen. I should bring that suit and claim that no healthcare should be provided whatsoever by companies. And let's let a judge decide. Let's see how far we can push it. You know, I think there are precedents for this, certainly in women's rights. Then the, the late, great Ruth Gator, uh, Ader Ginsburg, sorry, uh, was, a, was a champion of this, actually went and defended men's rights, actually, for, uh, for the purposes of pushing uh, women's rights. So I, I wonder if there is an attack to put this to an extreme. This is disturbing. It, it really, it bothered me at my core because of this, uh, this overreach. Um, so hopefully it is yet another fight that can be, uh, can be won by rational extension of the law and actually what rights mean. No, absolutely. The, um, the company's argument is just rife with the bigotry and, but we, we've seen, unfortunately, cases like this before, right? Lots of high profile legal arguments. Uh, regarding uh, church affiliate organizations and um, healthcare and issues around contraception under Obamacare and all sorts of other things. And unfortunately, I think what this sets up potentially is a showdown in the Supreme Court about this. And with the new Dobbs decision um, calling into question even the legal precedent set forth for a right to contraception, even. Um, you know, this is, this is very real. And I think, uh, a lot of the concern after the Dobbs decision, some of it was marked as kind of hyperbole, but I think this shows it is not, this is real. There are court cases moving through the system on this very vein and judges ruling in favor. Um, so something to be aware of. I think this points to a larger issue though. You know, sometimes I feel like we're rearranging dictators on the USS, why do we do healthcare this way, Titanic? And in moving those deck chairs around, there's a reason why the US has one of the worst sort of health outcomes, yet by far in orders of magnitude, more spending per person on healthcare. We spend more and get less than pretty much any other country in the world. Like we're rearranging deck chairs. And this is like front row seat of like, this is the battle as opposed to like, well, so let's, let's not lose sight of, uh, the forest for the trees of what's going on here as well, that this is just a dumb system, but at least it costs a lot. Yeah. How about a We're really bringing the crowd up today. Uh, yeah, there's nothing redeemable about <laughs> our healthcare system, but, uh, how about, um, how about uh, an article about um, helping homeless folks in Albuquerque? Hold uh, on, hold on. I do want to drop our, uh, our Giving Tuesday prediction real quick. Oh, surfing. okay. Okay. We do and are looking forward to the annual day of giving, November 29th, 2022. You know, put it on your calendars, make a plan, set the date, because we believe that, and we predict 3.2 billion may be donated on November, uh, November 29th, which is exciting uh, for the Giving, Giving Tuesday. 
And, you know, say what you will, I just uh, like an excuse to celebrate generosity. And that's the Tuesday coming after the Thanksgiving Black Friday on the Cyber Monday following that. We're like, all right, we're done eating. We're done spending. Now let's start giving. I like it as a, an annual tradition. So that's our prediction. Hold us to it. We'll see what happens. George, I have a question about the methodology. Uh, <laughs> how, how do we, how do we arrive at this number? Like what kind of factors do you, do you think about and do you look at? I'll be honest. I've been doing this I don't know, for, I don't know, predicting for four years. I, sometimes I get it disturbingly close. Uh, I use uh, a combination of uh, just basically a, a linear regression. And then I sort of adjust the result uh, based on what I'm seeing in search trends. So basically if I see more search trend interest for Giving Tuesday earlier, uh, over under of what it was last year, it's just a proxy for attention. The more attention means the more participation. And then, of course, um, as I note in this article, I use AI-generated monsters and I ask them questions about the results. And then I flip a coin, and then I see where the moon is in the sky. Love it. Love it. The scientific <laughs> rigor is down. I should, I should say this is going to be a represent 18% uh, increase, uh, roughly $500 million over the 2021 record-breaking $2.7 billion. Um, I did note that last year I predicted that it would cross three billion. Did not, so I was wrong by point three by three hundred million. But what's three hundred million between sides? Um, so we were pretty close. But I do. I think it's coming, and I think it's going to not just eke past. I think it's going to blow past. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, I like it. We'll. You'll uh, be the first to hear it on this podcast when those numbers get released. That was pretty feel good, but I'll take us into right. another feel good story. <laughs> yeah. Um, this comes from KOB4, which is presumably a New Mexico news outlet. Um, and this comes from Albuquerque, and it's about a nonprofit preparing a second safe outdoor space for Albuquerque's homeless. And I think this is kind of innovative and interesting. This nonprofit um, has recognized that. Um, Homeless folks, they need, yes, they need housing and they need a whole host of other things, but part of the first step and something that could be, provide a lot of utility with fairly limited resources is uh, creating a space for homeless folks to live out of their car to, to safely park um, and be in community during the nighttime. So this nonprofit heading home um, says that a safe place to park your car home every night would be the first step to finding permanent housing. So that stability that doesn't come, um, I mean, stability in quotes, right? It's still, obviously, these folks are homeless, but just having that, that peace of mind of knowing you have a space to go every night if, unfortunately, you are living out of your car um, can help you give get that structure and just like a little boost of stability you need to kind of get other things in order, right? Like that can kind of be uh, an, an initial step. And obviously this is not housing. It's not permanent housing, right? It's, it's kind of like a, a, not even a stopgap, right? It's just that nudge. Um, but uh, there's, there seems to be a, a really innovative program. There's some really encouraging stats out of this. So they're expanding it. And I think the, the takeaway was that Initially in Albuquerque, lots of other home reach, uh, homeless outreach programs had, had been unsuccessful. 
Um, and they're looking for innovative ways to um, address the problem and help folks out. So uh, kind of an interesting one. Yeah, I, it's it's sad there are quotes in here saying that most people at Albuquerque are sort of against uh, these types of safe spaces. However, you know, you're sort of acknowledging the truth on the ground. You're like, you can ignore it, but effectively, if you don't have a place to sleep safely, even if it's in a car and you are on edge, you're not getting the basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs of like sleep and safety. Um, so you got to start at those base building blocks. And then once uh, you are in communities that are protected like this, some level, obviously it is far cry from permanent housing. It is acknowledging one of the steps on the ladder toward the, a, a touch more permanence. So I like and continue to like innovative approaches to how you help just a massive problem of homelessness where it shouldn't be uh, because we have abundance here in America yet you know still uh, many living uh, living in a, without homes okay Nick thank you so much and see you next time see you next time thanks George this has been using the whole whale podcast if you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.